As a Papuan Australian woman, I want to start this podcast by acknowledging that I am a settler on this land that I live, work and create on. I acknowledge there are ongoing native title cases on this land today due to the impacts of colonisation. I want to pay my respects to the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this country and to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello listeners and welcome to episode one of the podcast Our Women, Our Stories, which is a sub-phase of the Australian Council of the Arts project Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories. In today's episode, I share a conversation space with three cultural inclusion educators. I feel that the root of the many issues we will be looking at in this podcast comes from a lack of education, hence the reason this episode came first in this series. As you will discover, many of the issues we discuss are interrelated. I want to dive into the podcast as quickly as possible, so let's introduce your podcast guests. Our first podcast guest is Jackie Bennett. Jackie is the director and cultural consultant of her business, Connecting to Culture, and she shares a little bit more about herself now. Hello, I'm Jackie Bennett. I'm a Camilleroy Bigambo woman from southwest Queensland in St George. So that's where I was born, where I grew up, where I met my husband, where I had my children. So I've got four children that have now given me nine beautiful grandchildren. Um, So I'm a grandmother and very uh, passionate about... I suppose the legacy that I leave behind for them. I'm passionate about education for our children, ensuring that um, whether it's the early years or schools or, you know, wherever they're studying um, is culturally safe and secure for them. I want them to feel comfortable in their skin when they walk into those services or or those, um, I suppose, those industries so that they can feel safe and um, secure and feel proud of who they are, where they come from. Um, So I suppose their identity. Our second podcast guest is Cecilia Wright. Cecilia is the director and cultural consultant of her business, Cultural Inclusions. Here she is now. Hey, I have to say, big SO, a very big thank you for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, my name's Cecilia Wright. All my family is a Siki family up on Thursday Island. We're a Chinese TI family. And um, Thursday Island is in the Torres Straits, up at the very top of Australia. And um, my family are a Chinese TI family that have been here for many, many generations. And, um, you know, I really... Uh, Uh, All the years that we've been here, I think about um, our inclusion journey for my family itself and and what we do in community and everyone within my family, how we um, are embedded into culture, into community, um, into everyday living in the islands. Uh, my job description, so I'm an early childhood educator. I do say I'm a, a Torres Strait Island inclusion uh, consultant where uh, for the last 20 plus years I've been moving all over Australia and as an educator working in the sector I found there was nothing for our children, for our families, nothing that represented me, um, nothing that I um could uh, align myself with. So I actually now... Um, 
develop my own Torres Strait Islander educational resources. I source resources from community members to sell to educators and teachers and community services. And um, for the last probably five, six years now, I've been delivering some professional development with this deadly team across the sector all about inclusion and, um, you know, supporting community services with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inclusion, really, uh, you know, getting educators to think outside the box as well when it comes to this. Our final podcast guest is someone very close to home for me. I've brought my mum, Ranu James, onto this podcast. Ranu is also the director and cultural consultant for her business, Weaving Cultural Stories, Hegogo Hatua. This is her now. My name is Ranu James. I am a Papua New Guinea Australian woman and um, I'm from specifically from Papua, uh, so central province Papua New Guinea. My village is Gabba Gabba and Gabba Gabba is about an hour's drive from Port Moresby going southeast and our language group is Motu. Uh, my job description at the moment, <laughs> today, my job description is that I'm working for my business, which is weaving cultural stories as an early childhood consultant. I guess I work with early childhood educators or the general public, not just early childhood educators, to look at things around culture. So it's raising awareness um, and sensitivity. And in the education space, it's about um supporting educators to ensure that the programs that they provide for the children and families are culturally safe, sensitive and aware and um, inclusive as well for all culturally diverse children and families that they work with. That's the main um, job. I, um, I've been a early childhood educator for my whole career and have worked in places such as the Northern Territory, Victoria and now Queensland um, and have always operated within the space of culture. Um, but I'm also um, a pa passionate, I don't know, do, do you say practitioner of culture? It's embedded in my personal life as well as my professional life and every almost every aspect of my life is involved in culture in some way. So these are the three women in our podcast episode about cultural inclusion education. So let's dive in straight away. I started this conversation by asking these ladies, how and why did you enter the education sector? I grew up in a small town, uh, went to school there, lived there until I had my children, as I mentioned, you know, got married there. It wasn't until my husband got a job, I was able to step out of my small, my small town and I realised that, you know, I, I'm Aboriginal and I've always been Aboriginal, but when I walked into a space like Grid Island and saw really dark Aboriginal people that were rich in culture, rich in the ways of knowing and doing, rich in their own law, so they're L-O-R-E, not not our, our LAW law. And I found that they lived by two laws and I just wondered how can that be? Like, you know, so I became really curious about my Aboriginal culture, why we weren't as rich in language and culture as they were. And so I suppose that's where my journey started because um, even though I'm very fair, 
it was when I was working at the um, Ali and Gula um, club, the um, ARC, Recreational Club. I was just pouring beers there and I was serving people and I, I was working in the bottle shop this day and this Aboriginal man came in. He was one of the elders and um, he came in every day with his wives and his little baby babies because they were all running around, no clothes, no shoes, um, in and out of the cold room to get cold and um, running out because it got too cold. Um, and then this day he said to me, he looked at me and he said, you're one of us, eh? And I, I said, yep, I am. And he said, hmm, you want to be one of my wives? And I said, no. <laughs> I'm married and always showing him my ring. And um, I suppose it was then I realised that you can still be fair, but you can still be, people still know that you're Aboriginal in some sort of way. I think we're just drawn to each other and we know, we know, I suppose, the journey that we've all had to endure around our culture. So I suppose it was that experience that really made me want to explore my culture more and it was, um, you know, going to Jabiru and again being immersed in culture and seeing the, the strong cultural ways of knowing and doing that they did in the communities there, being really sad for my people because I could see how difficult it was for the elders to come in the troop carriers to the shop every week to do their shopping and being really sad when I saw them walking out with flour and their big bags of sugar and rice, knowing that that diet wasn't what they traditionally would have been used to. So I, I, I really learned about that. It was there that I started working within the education system. So I worked in the classrooms as a teacher aide and uh, in the, the kindergarten and in the classrooms, going to the ASPA committees and being really deeply involved in ASPA and really wanting to find out how families could be involved. And then moving to, to Townsville was probably my biggest awakening to education but also to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, our different ways of knowing, doing, our different cultures, languages, everything. I'm just quite aware that it was very different and people categorised us in the same way. They called us Indigenous people instead of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So it was in Townsville that I suppose my voice started to present in speaking up when thing when I didn't think that people were portraying Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in a respectful way and that weren't being respectful of our two different cultures. So um, it was in Townsville that I worked in a um, primary school and again in the preschool because we didn't have prep then. So going to the preschool and, and being a teacher aide to children in preschool and trying to work with the educators around understanding about the differences in language. 
So, you know, whether it was the Torres Strait Islander language or our Aboriginal home language and and letting them know that our children have to code switch and, and walk in two worlds to be able to even come to school. And I suppose it was the home visits that I did to families' homes to talk to them about the importance of their children being at school because they just weren't sending them. And often it was because there was so much going on at home there was probably may not have been food so they weren't they were too ashamed to send their kids to school because they didn't have any lunch to send with them they didn't want the kids to get an ask for lunch they didn't yeah. want to be um they didn't want to be notified to child safety because then they could lose their children so it was just easier and safer to keep them at home. The other thing that was really noticeable was that if things were just too hard, like if there'd been a lot of drinking in the community and there was younger children in the families, it was easier to keep the bigger children home to look after those kids, the smaller kids. And so, you know, the bigger kids had a really big responsibility because they had to look after their siblings, they had to clean. Often they had to, I know there was um, little girls that actually had to go and steal food so that they could feed themselves and their their baby sister and they even had to go and beg for cigarettes and I just you know that made me really sad because I thought our children have got big responsibilities that educators just aren't aware of and I think yeah I, I suppose that was a really big turning point for me And, you know, Jackie, me as a teacher, one of the things I realised once I got out and was teaching is that I knew nothing about working in this this space. Nothing at university prepared me for the cultural differences, the family differences that I was going to be working in when I began that that journey. And I, I felt like I wasted four years. I knew nothing. I don't know how to... I had to I had to work it out on the fly. So as that when you say about teachers not not understanding, yeah, I had no idea. At me as a first year out teacher, I had no idea. I was completely clueless. They still are, and I think that's probably why I'm so passionate about mm. what I do. I did want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a health and phys ed teacher because I was real deadly at sport. I was good at softball, netball. I was a swimmer. <laughs> I was a runner. I did all of that stuff, and I just really, when I left high school, I wanted to be a PE teacher. I think as I started to work and my life experience, I thought, you know what, I actually don't need a white diploma. (laughs) I've been really, really, you know, voicing out about that. Like I didn't need that piece of paper to tell me what I could do and what I couldn't do. And when I'd see how green the teachers were and what they really lacked in when it came to teaching our kids, I thought, well, I think it's my role to actually have those conversations and be that voice to speak up for our families and our kids. So I was able to do that. And I think in Townsville, um, when I left the school, because there was like 280-odd Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, so, you know, because I was 
the Indigenous education worker, all black issues were my issues. If there were kids playing up, I'd have teachers at my door and I'd have to then go and, you know, go and make sure the child was okay, make sure the class was okay and then the teacher. And if the child was just playing up too much, the, the school would never do this, but I did because I thought if this was my child, I would want to know that my kids were playing up this bad. I would want to have the opportunity to speak up and come in and sort that out if I needed to. So I would get on the phone and I can remember ringing one mum because her little fellow was playing up. He was really bad. And um, I knew that she wouldn't like it because she'd be shamed. She would be shamed if she knew that he was playing up like he did. She's a Torres Strait Island woman. And so I rang her and I said, look, um, your little bloke is really playing up today. Is there something going on that the school should know about? And um, she said, you know, that there was lots of things happening at home and that he was really unsettled. And um, I said, so what do you want us to do? Do you want us to take him to the office and, and keep him there or do you want to come and chat to him? So she came all right and she chatted to him. (laughs) (laughs) He got in lots of trouble and I tell you what, from that day on, that little man did not play up because he knew that I'd be ringing his mama (laughs) and she knew that I'd be ringing her because, you know, that's not... I don't think that bad behaviour is a school's responsibility and I think, you know, parents need to be aware so that they do have the opportunity to sort it. Some parents couldn't have given a shit but I knew that there were some that really would have and she did. Yeah, so when I left there I went to work with the Learning and Engagement Centre as a project officer with Education Queensland and it was there that I really was exposed to I suppose, that policy of education. And it was through the Get Set for PrEP program. So that was when PrEP was just starting. And so I was the project officer that organised those events for community. And it was just, I think, the best time of my life when I got to really immerse myself in, in the community and learn how to really engage with community around what it is they want for their children in education. It was where I um, had to consult with the elders to really get that work happening because without elders and the families being on board, we wouldn't have had any kids enrolled in PrEP. Um, So that was really important for me. Um, And it was where I learned a lot of my lessons because, you know, being a part of Um, women's groups with strong elder women um, really taught me a lot. They taught me when I could speak and when I couldn't speak and if Mm. I spoke out of turn they'd give me that look. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I quickly knew to shut my mouth and listen and learn. (laughs) So I think now... um, I still have a voice in the back of my head when I'm doing something of either Auntie Jenny or Auntie Jane pulling me up if I'm doing something that I know I probably shouldn't be. So I think, you know, I was probably lucky in that sense. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a long-going journey. And then 
working with CNK here when I when I came to Brisbane um, as a cultural diversity advisor. Again, I was still thinking, do I need to go to university? And again, um, I got a quick, um, I suppose, an awakening to think to myself, I actually don't need to. You know, I know about my people, I know about my culture, I know what families need and I know what children need, I know what community needs. So I just have to speak my truth and I can I can support educators to be able to do that in in a way that they don't feel threatened because I've I've seen how scared they are to do things and I don't want them to be scared to embed culture and to make safe spaces for our families and children Um, and so then I suppose that's how I became um, working with Cecilia and Ranu because our values and beliefs are very similar and we each have our own knowledge and we each bring our different um, strengths to our partnership so I just feel that this is where I need to be at the moment. Yeah, the stories feel different, but they're also very similar, I think. And it shows with our personality and the way we work as well. We've been on like a similar little story, uh, similar timelines. Um, I guess for me, um, you know, when I, growing up in the Torres Straits, I really felt like, uh, you know, it was all about community. It was all about family. It was all about looking after each other and supporting each other any way we can. And, you know, there's a few of us that are teachers uh, working in this space in, in TI, and we always say it comes back to our kindy teacher, Aniwasi Tarden, who's still alive today, and she's a big part of, of what I do still. And we always say that, you know, she was the one that really inspired all of us, um, you know, to to learn, to have fun, to to engage with children, and it sort of sparked our interest back then in kindy, you know. And um, and as I grew up, I knew I wanted to be a teacher the whole way through primary school, the whole way through high school. I did a lot of babysitting and, you know, I've got four brothers, had to look after those little monkeys and <laughs> had to look after all the cousins and, and, you know, all of that throughout my schooling years. But I knew I always wanted to be a teacher in, in some way. And I actually came back to TI after boarding school. So we all went to boarding school, myself and my siblings. There's only one local high school on TI. So my family said, we're all going to boarding school. All the boys went to St. Augustine's in Cairns. And I got sent to this girls boarding school in the middle of nowhere in the tablelands called Mount St. Bernard's and um, run by nuns. And you know what? I was surrounded by the most beautiful group of Torres Strait girls and PNG girls and Philippines and girls from the territory everywhere, everywhere and anywhere. And it's actually, you know, now I look back at it and think, wow, it's the most amazing multicultural experience of my life, you know, where it doesn't matter where you came from, you know, we all looked after each other. And we had our little costas, but the nuns would heavily encourage us to um, share language and share culture and community. So we actually had multicultural masses. We had uh, cultural celebrations all year. Many of my favourite masses were all in pigeon. The singing, we could drums and dresses and, you know, the the priests would talk pigeon as well. Like they were really, really incredible years at boarding school. And, um, you know, and it's 
one of my fondest memories, I think, because I really got to see many different aspects of culture all in one and how people could get along and, and could communicate and work together and, you know, and grow together in that space. So, yeah, and then I guess um, after high school, trying to think back now, I came back home and I came home for a year to be in community because I wanted to work. And so I was a teacher aide. I've been teacher aide a few times around in my career, but I was a teacher aide up on Thursday Island on TI. And, you know, I loved being a part of seeing the children and, and, um, and I always got stuck with those naughty little kids. Like you keep talking about Jackie, um, always got stuck with those children, but I really bonded with them and I really loved, you know, trying to work out what was going on for them to help them learn, to help help them work out what they needed to do to get through in schooling. And that uh, I actually did my teacher aid qualification then, and that got me into university to do my bachelor. So I then went off to, to uni thinking this will be what I'll do. And I'll do, um, I did uh, education, bachelor education. And after about a year and a half, I worked out, I don't want to study. <laughs> I didn't want to study anymore. And the uni back then in Cairns actually wasn't supportive at all. They really were a uh, brand new uni. You know, they obviously never had Indigenous students before. So it actually really wasn't supportive to what I needed at the time. And I really struggled. And throughout that year and a half, I also worked. I was an Indigenous literacy tutor at St. Augustine's The Boys College on at weeknight. So I had a lot of fun there. But the same thing, I realised that I don't want to study wanted to work with children and I knew that if I came home to community I could get a job and I could work in community without that qualification so I did I went back home again and I spent more time in community um you know and we say like when you go away for too long you get homesick hey you have Mm. to come back yeah, so I've done that a few times over and, um, and some of my cousins and some of my brothers, actually, we all sort of don't last too long away from community, away from home. And um, and I guess that sort of led me into, you know, what else do I want to do next? And, um, and I thought I'd go back to uni again, thinking that's what I need to do. I need that teaching degree. And, um, and I very quickly worked out, no. Nah, That wasn't for me at all. And why was I learning, you know, that type of, um, you know, the the literacy and the art and all these subjects that I thought, I'm never going to use that. Why would children be interested in that type of curriculum? And and so it really deterred me from uni and and that's when I found TAFE and all my TAFE studies. And and I actually have... um, I then jumped into the TAFE system and I've got like every qualification within early childhood that I could do. (laughs) And really those studies, even, um, you know, the training and assessment certificate to become a a TAFE teacher, that one in particular made me really excited about what I could do. So as I travelled around Australia, I worked in early childhood services, but when it was when I did that TAE certificate that I worked out, I couldn't, I could you know, not just teach children, but I could also teach the teacher, which really, really made me so excited about what else I could do. I could create a bigger impact 
I could be teaching these teachers of how to be inclusive and then they could pass that on to children. And, and then, you know, now we're at the space where they're actually teaching families as well. And as I moved around Australia, you know, I started to see more and more of the impact that we could create to create a more inclusive Australia. And that's really what sparked me, um, you know, to start my business as well and to start this this hobby business on the side uh, because we can create so much more support. And um, and in between that, of course, I've come back to TI again several times to be in community. And I had a few different jobs up here. I've worked in playgroup. Um, I've worked in after-school care and vacation care. And, you know, I was running the childcare centre here at one stage as well. Um, but it was really that job with uh, Maura Coscare. It's a women's sorority on TI. Um, that job in particular really got me thinking about the child and the family and the holistic view because that program I was looking after um, playgroups for vulnerable children and families. I worked with families that experienced domestic violence, um, trauma, and also trying to support those families uh, with parenting programs, but how to bring culture into that how to work in a space that includes culture for these children and families. And, and you know, that job as well also included um, child safety and working with children that had been removed, were going to be removed or, um, or totally disconnected from their families. And, and that particular job really opened my eyes to what are we doing with our systems? What are we doing with our training? What are we doing with our teachers? Because that really made me see, you know, another level of that holistic view of, you know, what are we doing to our babies to create this, this system outside where they're being traumatised and violence and, you know, and families separating in, in such horrific ways, you know, what are we, what are we doing? Cause we need to get to the bottom of that. And it wasn't, um, you know, I really tried to think about how do we create change in people, you know, and what are the, the systems, what are the laws in place? Are they actually helping this or not? And, um, and that, that was one of my most favorite jobs to do. I wish I was still there today. Um, <laughs> but that family wellbeing team and that role really made me think outside of, of what are we doing with our decisions? Cause is it really making a change and, you know, and how do we make that change with children and families in mind? Yeah. And that one really, it, it almost links up with the other jobs that I did after that around Australia. I worked, um, I worked in Brisbane uh, with the Indigenous Professional Support Unit, which is where I met Ranu, around supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators and childcare centres all across Queensland. So that, um, you know, expanded, um, you know, to training, professional development, helping them with their everyday functioning. And from that, I actually got this little contract that really um, opened my view again, I think. I worked with some women in the Townsville Women's Prison and I had to go in with a group of, of other um, beautiful, strong, deadly women to consult with the, with the inmates about um, culture, about holistic healing and learning. And, um, and that project in particular was a really big eye-opener, I think, working with the 
incredible women that are in prison for crazy reasons. Some of them are just wrong place, wrong time to, you know, to DV and, and, and trying to protect themselves and their babies to, yeah, to jealousy and, you know, and, and hurting other people. And, and it really made me open my eyes to, um, you know, what are we doing in the early childhood sector? that is actually creating this? What are we doing to our families that are creating this? Because not only were these women in prison because of something they'd done or hadn't done or, you know, on trial for, but it was just putting them into this system where they'll never get out. Even if they come out of prison after they've served their time, they're in this place where they're not accepted anymore and, and unable to get work or communities rejected them. So what do they do? They do something to go back into prison again. And then they're passing it on to their children and families. So when I look at any job or any work, you know, I always try to think about what is, what's the big picture here? You know, what are we trying to create? What are we trying to solve? Um, uh, you know, because we've got to change that. You know, they're building the another Southeast Queensland women's prison because the ones in North Queensland are full. You know, how crazy is that? That's, that's incredible that our societies let us do that. But, yeah, and, and it was a really big learning because even when I consulted, the women were amazing and beautiful in prison. It really it really took us all back as a team. We literally walked in there and cried to see babies there, to see pregnant women there, to see women that had, you know, just drunk and disorderly, wrong place, wrong time. It really impacted us significantly. And then after that project, we had to go and consult with the women, uh, the organisations that were supporting those women in prison. And, geez, they were angry. <laughs> they they told us, you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing. And we were there as a part of um, government, you know, doing this, this little project and they were wild. But I thought, you know, they had every right to be wild, eh? because they were speaking up for those women, those children, those families. Yeah, they had every right to, to react in that way and, you know, and really make us wake up um, to what we were doing as well. Yeah, that was a really big project. Still impacts me today. I think about it all the time. And I currently have a couple of jobs in my community where I'm also working in the health sector as well promoting um, health checks and our little ones, you know, to get healthy before they go to school and and to help them with, um, you know, with some of those learnings uh, as an early intervention as well. And, I, again, it's made me think about, you know, how do we actually talk to families? How do we talk to those children? How do we make it a really safe place for them to open up to tell us what's going on? So we can help them before going to school, you know, closing the gap. Um, but it's also opened my eyes to working for an Indigenous organisation. You know, that's that's been the best thing about it in Brisbane. They've just been incredibly supportive, holistic, wraparound care, you know, with COVID happening, what's going on with the families? Let's give them a call. Let's do care packages, you know, like this next level of understanding, understanding and supporting from all aspects, which I really, really love. You know, that's that's how we should be walking forward on this journey, you know, 
um, across all health sector, you know, across Australia-wide. It's really been an amazing opportunity because they actually have their own framework called The Ways, and it's the ways of being and belonging and Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander perspectives, which is pretty deadly. You know, when you think about that, hey, working for an organisation that actually, you know, walks the walk and talks the talk, um, yeah, that's been pretty special for me as well. So, you know, I love I love helping out wherever I can. doesn't matter who I'm working with, what age groups, you know, I'm there and I feel like I can't say no either, you know, and I, I um. I had someone ask me that the other day at work. I just said, I feel like, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on from babies to, you know, aged care with dementia, you know, I want to help and I want to do as much as I can, um, you know, and that's that's really my passion, helping out as much as I can in the in the sector. Our conversation continues in part two of this initial episode with our cultural inclusion educators. Be sure to tune in to learn more about RANU and also more about the education sector and what these ladies are currently doing as a team.